Welcome back to Monsters and Mixers Podcast. We are your hosts. I am Emma. And I am Amy. And we are finally back after a decently long break that we took. Yeah. Sorry. I think we're the only people busier in the summertime when yeah. some of us aren't working than we are otherwise. Yeah. We took a nice little family vacation to Gatlinburg and spent a week there and got to see some bears. It was super cool. Yeah. It was a good time. But we are back and better than ever, baby. Emma hated our place. She was convinced it was um, evil. It was just weird. It was like, it was very nice. It was a very pretty place. It was a cabin in the woods, which <laughs> automatically gives me weird vibes, but it just made some sounds that I was not fond of at the nighttime. I thought it was really nice. I didn't I feel liked creeped it. out, and I'm the queen of cre- creepy and creeped out. I was so. also the only one sleeping in a room by myself. It's true. So... Your chicken. <laughs> well, I was just... <laughs> I, the house was so quiet that I heard, like, literally everything. And it was just too much for a little bit. I was happy to be home in my own bed. Yeah. But we are back. And we're just going to dive right into it. I don't think there's really anything we need to talk about beforehand. No. Nope. True crime week. So you're going to go ahead and take it from here. Yep. All right. So today I'm going to tackle um, what I consider a pretty intimidating case for me just because it is so huge and there is a lot of detail and a lot to cover um and it is also messing and messy and confusing and it is one that i'm sure every single one of you at least over the age of 20 are aware of um especially if you're listening to us you are probably in the true crime community somehow and it's one that you can't miss it's been talked about many many times Um, and it is one that has had very recent developments in regards to new evidence testing as of late, which is 26 years after the initial murder. So once again, this story has been brought to the forefront of the media. It seems that like it kind of comes back every five or so years and comes in waves, comes in waves with it. It's one that, uh, got so much news coverage from so many people. I mean, Nancy Grace, CNN, like... Still to this day, I'm pretty sure, like, Dr. Phil, they did a thing, like, less than 10 years ago. So it is one that is still talked about widely. One thing I don't think, though, I don't recall ever having seen a full docu-series. You know how those are, like, a big thing now, like... Uh, I think they're... I think I've watched one. Did you? But I'm not entirely sure. I think so. But it definitely hasn't gotten as many documentaries or, like, Netflix documentaries as, like, Jeffrey Dahmer or Ted Bundy, but... Which is... I wonder if it's surprising. Because of the victim, Possibly. Possibly. Um, So as you can tell by the title of this episode, today we're going to be uh, discussing the unsolved murder of John JonBenet Ramsey. Before we get into the details of her murder, I want to start at the beginning. JonBenet Patricia Ramsey was born on the August 6th, 1990 in Atlanta, Georgia. She was the youngest of two children born to her parents Patricia or Patsy Ramsey and John Bennett Ramsey. At the time, she had an older brother named Burke who was born three years earlier in 1987. Uh, JonBenet's first name was a French combination of her dad's first and middle names, and her middle name was her mother's first name, which is kind of funny. Like, yeah. JonBenet, John Bennett. It's kind of cool. It is cool. It's different. Uh, John was a businessman, and he was the president of Access Graphics, which was a co- computer software company that later became a subsidiary of Lockheed Martin. Um, He was incredibly successful and very well off for the time. He kind of got a leg up in the tech world before a lot of people started doing that, like before the turn of the new century. Um, Tech boom. Yeah, before the tech boom. So he 
reaped all of the benefits of such. Um, after his first marriage ended in divorce in 1976, John's two surviving adult children, he had a son and a daughter, they lived elsewhere. John decided to move to Boulder, Colorado with his second wife, Patsy, and his family, as Access Graphics headquarters was located there. And in 1996, Access Graphics grossed over a billion dollars, and Ramsey was named Entrepreneur of the Year by the Boulder Chamber of Commerce. At the time prior to his daughter's murder, his net worth was reported at $6.4 million as of May 1st, 1996, which... A lot of money. A lot of money. Yeah. I mean, a lot of money even by today's standards, but early 90s, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you can suspect, their family was incredibly well off, and they purchased a 7,000 square foot home on the 700 block of the 15th Street in Boulder. Five bedrooms, four floors, and eight baths. John Bonet's bedroom was located on the second floor with a quaint balcony that can be seen from the outside, and her room was colorful with toys and stuffed animals and a bright colored bedspread. It was any six-year-old's dream. It's kind of my dream. Yeah, same. Her brother Burke's bedroom was across the house on the east end, also on the second floor, and it was decorated with wallpaper depicting model airplanes. Above Burke's room was Patsy and John's, which was said to have stretched across most of the third floor, so they had like a floor's worth like of bedroom. Yeah. And their bed was placed at the opposite end of the house as John Bonet's bedroom. While in Boulder, John Bonet was enrolled in kindergarten at High Peaks Elementary, uh, Elementary School. A bubbly and adorable little girl, her, mo- her mother decided to enter her in multiple child beauty pageants, where she thrived. She won the titles of America's Royal Miss. Little Miss Colorado, National Tiny Miss Beauty, as well as multiple others. JonBenet's active role in the child beauty pageant community and Patsy's status as a, quote, pageant mother was something the media would cling to after her murder and something that was criticized very heavily. Patsy was a beauty queen herself and allegedly JonBenet very much wanted to take part in pageants after seeing her mother on stage at a pageant reunion. But later on, her father would say that letting his daughter compete in pageants is something he regrets. He said, only because that possibly might have drawn some attention to us. I just don't know. But I think for advice to a parent is just recognize that regardless of where you live, there could be evil around you. And don't be naive about it and keep your kids protected. I almost kind of wonder, too, if him being named as Entrepreneur of the Year. I'm sure there were lots of magazine covers mm-hmm. and things like that. So they were pretty much in the limelight. Oh, even yeah. Though... They were very well known. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I get what he's saying. Don't draw unnecessary attention. But you also can't keep your children from doing something that they love just because you're afraid something might happen to them. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm sure if you've seen any picture of John Bonet, the one that I know that is most widely used, it's on like covers of like newspapers or magazines, is always her pageant photo shoots, like always. Like glamour shots for yeah, it's like glamour. Which, given I do find it a little odd too. Yeah. I mean, she's six years old; it's a little strange. But I don't think. Um, I feel like the way that we perceive like beauty pageants now, because child beauty pageants, because we've watched like toddlers and tiaras. Mm-hmm we have a very negative connotation and John Bennett himself has talked about like how he watched like an episode of Tyler's and Tiara's and said that it was nothing like that when yeah. they were doing it. Like it was just, everyone was having fun. They like to get dressed up. They like to dance and they like to sing. Like there was nothing like nefarious that they thought or like gross going on about it. It was just little kids that like to dress up and well, nobody would have watched a show if it was about innocent kids. Right. Going. So they, when producers sought out to make Tyler's and Tiara's, they actively, looked for mm-hmm. 
probably the worst of the worst as far as pageant moms right. and all the bickering and backstabbing and bullshit that which has given it. like the negative connotation to the term pageant mom. I don't necessarily right. I don't necessarily think that Patsy was someone like that. I mean, she had been in pageants her whole life, so she probably knew that there was a way to approach things and to treat her daughter. And and you said they were from from the south originally. Yeah, they were from which Atlanta. Is way more of a southern thing. Mm-hmm. Like us. But she only started doing them in. Boulder, John Bonet did. Yeah, but Patsy probably right. grew up in the Southern pageant culture mm-hmm. where you have Debbie Tom Falls and right, all exactly. that kind of It's thing. a huge accolade, too, to get... When she had won a lot of titles herself. Yeah. It's things that you don't understand because it's a cultural, regional thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, three days before the incident, this is something that's been talked about a lot and it's still kind of odd and you think we have answers as to why it happened, but there's still, you know, your web sleuths who th- that think otherwise... A 911 call was made from inside the Ramsey home. At 6.48 p.m. on December 23rd, the Boulder Police Department received the call that was ended before a police dispatcher could even speak to the caller. Six minutes later, the police called back but only got a voicemail message. So, as is protocol, an officer was dispatched to the home. And no police report was filed, so it has been presumed that the officer was told the call was a mistake and was satisfied with that explanation. At the time of the call, the Ramsey family was having their annual Christmas party, complete with a Santa who passed out presents to neighborhood children, and with so many people in attendance and alcohol involved, anyone could have inadvertently dialed 911. Mm -hmm. It just could have happened. Um, On January 10th, it was officially reported that it was likely a mistake made by a drunk party guest, according to CNN. It also could have been something that someone who intended to do them harm was doing to check to see the response time for the police. It's possible. I mean, that if I were going to, you know, do like a stakeout and mm-hmm. try and see how much time I had to commit a crime before 911 was called, what better place to do it than at a crowded party where it could be blamed on just anybody, like anybody. a kid or yeah. literally anything. Or I'm going to call how long does it take for them to actually show up. I, I mean, guess like it you gives would, you an established time frame. You would know more than I would, but how easy was it in 1996 to accidentally call 911? Because this is, like, pre-smartphone. I mean, So it is kind of easy, like, with an iPhone to accidentally hit, like, the emergency call thing that's on your thing and accidentally call whatever, but... You have to actively... Intentionally, like, dial 911, unless it's, like, a speed dial type thing. And, I mean, it's not implausible that there was an old rotary phone, which would make it damn near impossible. Right. (laughs) You gotta be sitting And everyone's gonna hear you because they're so loud. It, it did not happen as often. It was usually a prank right. kind of situation. So, I mean, somebody may have not meant to call and call, but you did just pick up a phone and automatically call 911. Mm-hmm. Well, the fact that the police called back and got a voicemail makes me believe it's probably a landline. It could have been a kid, too. And I mean, it could have been a kid just being stupid. Yeah. I mean, kids like to do stuff like that. They think it's funny. Especially back then. And don't realize... We were shitheads and we did lots of... And don't realize that police are actually going to show mm-hmm. up in the event that you don't tell them where what the problem was. Yeah. So on Christmas Day of 1996, the Ramsey family attended a Christmas party at a family friend's house. Um, all four of them went to the home of Fleet White Jr. and Priscilla White for Christmas dinner. John and Fleet, um, who was a retired, retired my gosh, oil executive, were best friends and the White's six-year-old daughter was John Bonet's best friend. So, once again, we're having a lot of, like, lavish, mm-hmm. lavish parties. Um, at the time of that Christmas dinner, things were going very well and starting to look up for the Ramsey family. Although wealthy, they had their own fair share of unfortunate circumstances, and Patsy was diagnosed with ovarian cancer in 1994 and had undergone chemotherapy. And it's also said that um, she had lost her hair due to chemo, which 
put like a massive just like burden on her I guess I mean you go from any woman I guess losing their hair is probably something that's not ideal but you go from being like the South beauty pageant queen that you are yeah. and you have like this image to uphold when you're in Boulder because your husband is extremely successful I'm sure it was something that was not easy for her to go through and that also timeline like today there's so many people that shave their hair intentionally mm-hmm. and embrace the whole you know bald is beautiful persona that I can tell you that that was not the case back it, then. yeah and I'm going to assume it definitely wasn't the case in like the group of people that they yeah. hung out with um, and in January 1992, just two years before Patsy's diagnosis, John's um, daughter from his previous marriage was killed in a car accident. Yeah. Um, so they had been going through a lot, even though they had like the money and whatever, they had still personally been going through a lot. But as the family sat down for Christmas dinner that year, they tried to put all of that aside and enjoy some much needed holiday time with their fa- friends and their children. They opened presents and that year John Bonet received a bike that she was very excited about. The Ramseys were said to have arrived home at around 10 p.m., and JonBenet reportedly fell asleep in the back seat, and her father carried her into bed. The family had plans to fly to Michigan early the next morning for another round of Christmas parties. Sometime before dawn, JonBenet is killed. Brutally. Her skull is fractured, she's strangled with a cord, she has duct tape put around her mouth, and her body is placed downstairs in a small windowless room in the basement. She's wrapped in a blanket with the cord still around her tiny neck, her head uncovered, and her arms above her head. In the early morning hours of December 26, 1996, just mere hours after the Ramsey's Christmas celebrations, John and Patsy awoke to find their six-year-old daughter missing from their bed, from her bed at their Boulder home. The two had woken up early to prepare for their trip, and at 5.52 in the morning, Patsy places a call to 911, shouting, send help, and saying that her daughter is missing, presumed to be kidnapped and that a two-and-a-half-page ransom note demanding $118,000 had been left by the mystery kidnapper on the steps of the back stairs leading to the kitchen. It's a very odd amount of money to request. Mm-hmm. The note begins, Dear Mr. Ramsey, we have your daughter, and includes the words behead and is it attache or attach? I'm not sure exactly an how atta- to... An attache case. Attache, yeah. Um, in an attache, yeah, is a case that um, presumably like a, to hold money. Like a briefcase. Like a briefcase. Yeah. This ransom note has been examined and picked apart a million times, and I will dive more into that a bit later. It was printed in block-style letters with a felt-tipped Sharpie pen and four obvious misspellings in the note that seemed to be intentional. Patsy screams for John, and the two go on to check Bert's, Burke's room, but she's nowhere to be found. At this time, Patsy begins to call some of her friends. Friends begin arriving and gathering at the home almost immediately, and the police arrive at approximately 6 a.m. They perform a cursory search of the premises, which is just an outdoor check everything, make sure it's okay, and find that a basement window had been shattered and a suitcase was placed underneath it. Other than that, there are absolutely no indications of forced entry. It is at this point that the FBI is contacted and they begin to make plans to deal with what they at this time believe to be a kidnapper. Okay, hold on. The suitcase was placed underneath the shattered window, like, in the basement? Mm-mm, outside. Okay, because, like, in, that would, to me, would ma- indicate somebody who was smaller and needed a boost to get out of the window maybe used it to get out. Right, no, I think they, when they saw it, they assumed that it had been used to break shatter it. the okay. window or break the window, almost. Um, an FBI detective does not arrive at the scene until two hours later. During this time, John Bennett, <clears throat> excuse me, 
begins arranging plans to obtain cash for the $118,000 ransom, which shouldn't be too difficult given that, oddly enough, that was the exact amount of his Christmas bonus that year. Um, you will withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 will be in $100 bills and the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills, the note demanded, which is... Very specific. Very specific. At approximately 8 a.m., law enforcement set up a wiretap and recording equipment, so they were fully prepared to start wiring money over to get mm -hmm. her back. Around 1 p.m., Fleet White is asked to take John and search the house for, quote, anything unusual, and just 30 minutes later, they discover John Benet's body in the basement of the home. John removes the tape from her mouth and carries her upstairs in outstretched arms, where he lays her on the floor at the top of the stairs and asks for someone to bring him a blanket from the couch to cover her. Patsy, upon seeing the body of her six-year-old daughter, flings herself on top of John Bonet and shouts, Help me, Jesus. Detective Linda Arndt, who was the first detective on the scene, actually, shortly thereafter moves John Bonet's body over near the Christmas tree and places a Colorado avalanche sweatshirt over her. Um, not sure if you've realized already, but I'm sure it doesn't take a detective or a genius to understand that by bringing her upstairs and leaving the basement door open, pretty much all of the evidence on her and in the basement is now tainted because she has been touched by three different people since she has been moved from upstairs and had a random shirt with different fibers exactly. on her placed upon her and mm -hmm. stuff yeah so whatever Which i'm sure they weren't thinking i mean very reactionary no but you would think that the person who would be thinking <clears throat> is maybe the detective that is there responsible and were maybe there detectives down there with him when he found her or did he find her and then just like rush upstairs he found her and rushed upstairs but you'd think that like the detective that was in there who moved her body under the christmas tree would. I would also think that maybe um, someone should have been with everybody. Exactly. When they're investigating. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I don't know what's going Like they shouldn't door. have just sent <clears throat> her father and his random friend to search the house by themselves. Like they probably should have been accompanied by, by one officer. of the detectives mm -hmm. or one of the police officers who is on the scene. Actually, the parents should not have been searching the house no. at all. They should have removed everyone from the home yeah. and done their own search inside <laughs> of it. Also very odd that they start setting up like wiretapping equipment before they even do a full-on search of the house. Not to mention the fact that anybody who knows that they are kidnapping a child from a wealthy family, only asking for an oddly specific $118,000, why would you not go for like a million dollars? Right, you're going to shoot for the fucking stars. Like right. You're going to try to get whatever you can. And how do you know that he... And you're also not going to take the time in the heat of kidnapping this child from this, what should be suspected to be a highly surveillanced or surveilled home, because it's a mansion in the middle of Boulder, to with stop a lot of shit in there, you're gonna stop and write down the exact amount and type of bills that you want it given to you Did by? you say that it was written on their stationery? I have not yet. Oh, I'm sorry. Spoiler alert, my bad. <laughs> I haven't gone into it yet. Um, but there are many other things that are weird with the ransom note that we will talk about later, like the organization that the kidnappers claim to be from as if, if they essentially did it under the guise of like a political type thing, which is very odd that you're going to pick a like random six year old from a house that really doesn't have like any political ties or anything to it and use her as like the pawn in such a scheme. And why would they not take her body with them to actually be able to get the money then leaving the body behind makes oh, well, no sense. Exactly. Well now, no sense I'm whatsoever. going to assume that now at this time the wiretapping stopped because yeah. the police were probably like, oh shit, we're not dealing with any sort of ransom kidnapping situation. Right, they never wanted we're dealing money. with a brutal homicide. Yeah. 
which is in juxtaposition to the ransom note, makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. If you can't already tell, I don't have um, <laughs> much faith in the Ramsey family. No. But I'm going to try to keep a lot of that to myself. I think maybe, should we take a break now and regroup and come back? Yeah, okay. we'll come back. We'll be right back. headfirst into this shit. Um, strangely, just 20 minutes after finding the body of his daughter, John is overheard on a phone call to his pilot telling him to ready the plane to head to Atlanta. Police heard this and strongly advised them not to leave town. Um, I'm not sure why you would want to leave your daughter's body. Um, no. I understand that they that's their hometown and I'm sure they have like some family there. Now's not the time. This would be when you would send your pilot to pick up your family to bring to you. Right, exactly. Um, so with the advice from the police, it is at this point that they begin to make plans to stay at a friend's home in Boulder, which is understandable. I would not They're want to stay there. Yeah. Stay there. At approximately 2 p.m., the Ramseys left their home, and it was a f officially declared a crime scene. It was at this point that investigators began a 10-day investigation into the murder of John Bonet. The coroner arrived later that night around 8.20 p.m., and the Boulder County coroner staff removed her body from the residence at around 9.45. The next day, December 27th, the Boulder County coroner reported that an autopsy had revealed that the cause of death in regards to John Bonet was asphyxia due to strangulation and a skull fracture, and it was at this point that her death was ruled a homicide. There was no evidence of conventional rape, although sexual assault was not officially ruled out due to the injuries on her body. The cord tied around her neck was made from a nylon cord and the broken handle of a paintbrush that was owned by Patsy, and trace pieces of pineapple were found in her stomach, indicative that she had recently eaten some, and investigators concluded that she had to have eaten it just a few hours before her death. On December 28th, her body was inspected for evidence of semen, blood, and saliva, and detectives began to take blood, hair, and handwriting samples from both the Ramseys and their relatives and friends. The following day, they held a memorial service at St. John Episcopal Church in Boulder for John Bonet. About 200 friends and family members attended the invitation-only service, as did several detectives who were said to be doing investigative work. Yeah, oftentimes, if it's somebody who's close to the family, they'll attend the funeral, oh, which is yeah. kind of fucked up. Mm -hmm. um, I was going to say something. The using, instead of just using the cord, but actually using a broken paintbrush handle... Like, people that do that, they do it to get more force behind, mm -hmm. which I don't know if they thought about it's that. It's almost kind of like putting a crowbar in a door. It gives you more torque. Right. Yeah. So, I would think that that would not have been a... She's six. Mm -hmm. Any adult could easily strangle a six-year-old yeah. without needing any extra additional force. Mm -hmm. So, just want to point that out. Yeah. That that's a very weird thing to... It is odd. It's very it, odd. Yeah. I mean, you... That's when you like, watch, just like true crime. Yeah, when you well, yeah, when you watch true crime stuff, like most a lot of times people if they're just strangled with like a rope or whatever, it's not hard for an adult it's not hard male or female no. to do that. It's not hard to really strangle anybody with your hands given the right circumstances. Yeah. And let alone a six year old fifty pound little girl yeah. whose neck is very small. Like it is not hard to do. That to me just implies that somebody who maybe wasn't that strong. 
Right. Or somebody who was like very pissed off. It seems like a very angry crime. Yeah. Um, and also the mention of the pineapple might seem odd here, but uh, the Ramses claimed that John Bonet, I mean, he carried her into bed, put her to bed, and allegedly she had not gotten up or gone downstairs, had not eaten any pineapple at the party whatsoever. So the evidence or the trace evidence of pineapple in her stomach means she that at some point afterwards. in night, she got up, <laughs> went to the kitchen and ate a snack. Um, and the Ramsey's, like her parents' bed being on the opposite end of her bed, her bedroom means that they probably would not have heard any of that. They wouldn't yeah. have heard her get up and go downstairs. And if they'd been at a party, party, maybe they had a couple drinks and they were sleeping right. pretty hard. And they knew that they had to get up early, so they probably went right to bed. So that the pineapple will come more into play later as well. Right where are we at? The okay. Next the next day, December thirtieth, the Ramsey family took John Bonet's body by private jet to Atlanta, which was their former place of residence prior to them relocating to Boulder. It is widely reported that at this time they retained Brian Morgan, who is John Bennett's criminal defense lawyer and their attorney. It is also reported at this time that John Bonet's two older half siblings on her father's side were out of town the night of her murder. Multiple press conferences were held as this was quickly becoming a massive case in the eyes of the media and the Ramsey family were going to soon find themselves in the midst of a media frenzy in one of the most widely known and discussed cases of all time. John Bonet was laid to rest at a cemetery in Marietta, Georgia, which is her birthplace on New Year's Day of 1997, next to her half-sister Elizabeth. Um, on that same day, on January 1st, 1997, John and Patsy gave their first of many interviews, many public interviews, a 45 minute long, quote, very difficult interview with CNN from Atlanta. 45 minutes? I couldn't manage 45 seconds mm -hmm. of talking about something so horrible, knock on wood. Right. Although the Boulder police had been continuously reassuring the public that they did not believe there was a murderer on the run, Patsy said on television, there is a killer on the loose. If I were a resident of Boulder, I would tell my friends to keep your babies close to you. There's someone out there. She added, America is suffering because we have lost faith in the American family and cited the example of the mystery of what had really happened with OJ Simpson. We are a Christian God-fearing family. We love our children. We would do anything for our children. They also stated this time that they have hired their own investigators, Ellis Armistead and David Williams, and were offering a $50,000 reward for information on the alleged killer. So, not only did they give this interview, a 45-minute long interview, but they did it on the same day that they buried her. Right. That's pretty disassociative. Which is, I mean, I don't want to, I never want to be the person who judges how people grieve because we never know. Um, and I'm sure that they were like, we need to talk to someone about this because people were already kind of looking at them like... And we need to find the killer. And right. What the hell's going on here? way to raise awareness. But... Um, but a very long police time. were very confused because the fact that they gave a 45 minute long interview was not the problem the fact that they gave a 45 minute long interview after refusing to talk to police because they were quote too emotional to talk to investigators was kind of what raised eyebrows with them because they were like you can't talk to us the people who were going to physically be able to solve the murder of your daughter but you can go sit in your room at your house in Atlanta and give like a tele interview with CNN. Not to mention they probably gave away details they weren't supposed to. And yeah, her compromised the investigation. And the there's a killer on the loose. There's a killer on the loose like inciting fear. Inciting genuine fear in Boulder, which is just also not really great. 
So the following day, investigators flew down to meet the family in Atlanta. And according to CNN, a team of five detectives made their way down south. And at this time, like I said, investigators began voicing their shock that the Ramseys had even granted the TV interview, considering the fact that up until now they had claimed to be too emotional to talk to the police. Um, it is also reported at this time that John Bonet had been sexually assaulted in the attack. Aww, poor baby. In response to Patsy's claims and statements made in the interview, Boulder Mayor Leslie Durgan made a statement denying that there was any reason to believe such things. Which, to me, she's getting some inside information. I mean, if the police genuinely thought that there was a reason for the surrounding area to be worried, like, because you would think this is kind of insane if they really thought that someone was on the loose breaking into random rich people's houses and killing their kids and, like, leaving ransom notes for money, they would vocalize that to people. Right. They don't want to instill fear in people, but they would say... Be vigilant. Be vigilant. Like, be... Lock your doors. Lock your doors. Be more safer than you usually are. Report any suspicious activity. Exactly. But they have not done that up until this point, which makes me believe that they're thinking other things are happening here. Yeah, for sure. Um, Also, I don't want to, like, too heavily judge them going to Atlanta at this point to bury her, but, uh, I probably wouldn't want to stay there too long simply because you being in state and not making all of these investigators come down to you and to Atlanta is going to make things go a lot smoother and a lot quicker because you being out of reach states away at this time, like it's going to make it a lot more difficult for investigators to do what they need to do and keep you in the know. Yeah. And people who would seem to shy away from a lot of public scrutiny before going and doing an interview seems very odd to me. Yeah, it's like it. They were it's trying, very reminiscent they were trying of, to be like low key. Mm-hmm. And then you put yourself in the middle of it. It's very reminiscent of like Brian Laundry. Mm-hmm. Like just being so far removed from everything that it makes you look 10 times more guilty right. than if you were actually involved in the things that are going on. Um, on January 3rd, a bombshell is dropped when investigators conclude their 10-day evidence gathering at the resident, and this is one that will be discussed for years and years to come. Detectives announced that the ransom note was written from inside the Ramsey home. It was written on a paper pad from inside the house, indicating that it was very likely written after the murder was committed. Because, what, are they going to walk in, write a ransom find note. some random yeah, stuff, write the note, and then killer like it just it doesn't make sense none of it makes sense writing a ransom note when you've already murdered somebody makes no sense either and also i'm not sure if you guys are like aware of like the history of ransom notes they typically aren't two and a half pages long no that is very long and they're usually cut from magazines from my knowledge (laughs) (laughs) and if one one is two and a half pages long one would assume that they wrote it before entering the house because if you're going to kidnap somebody you're not going to take two and a half pages worth of writing time To sit down in the house and write a note. No, that's a novella. Right. You're going to write it before, you're going to leave it, and you're going to do what you need to do. But the fact that it was written from stationery in the home means that that could not be the case. No. It was also written with, like, a felt-tip Sharpie. Yeah. Just, just everything is just so and, weird And again, I it. can't get past the fact that you're going to take the time to stop and write a two-page ransom note asking for a very specific amount of money that has very suspiciously been acquired recently and leave the body where it can be very easily found, negating the 
the chance of you ever getting any money. Mm -hmm. uh, don't you also like kind of find it odd because the window that they found that was broken was a basement window. Which typically tend to be small. Which also, like if you find the one, everything in the house, outside of the house looks perfectly fine, but there's one broken window with a suitcase underneath it. Wouldn't like the first place that you'd want to investigate inside the home be the basement? Where her body is? Well, and you should, that be the they should have first seen place on their first perimeter walk, which I'm assuming they did not do because they sound like a, kind of the Keystone Cops right now. Um, why would you not immediately walk around the perimeter of the outside of the house and then see the broken window and then go immediately down there? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. They did a perimeter walk, saw the broken window, didn't go into the basement. They sent John and Fleet White around the house to contaminate whatever fucking evidence they find because yeah. I understand like I don't want to John like judge John too much I'd probably carry my child carry my child up yeah. the stairs as well but there is absolutely no reason that he should have been the one to have to find that absolutely none at all it should have been the police who find it immediately rope that shit off well, yeah, even and shining, tell them. Even shining a flashlight into that into the window. window, they should have been able to see her. And also, where the fuck did the suitcase come from? Whose suitcase is it? And did they fingerprint the suitcase? Did they <laughs> like, off literally, of what? I, the question. So before even like doing a full-on internal like search of the home, they set up wiretapping stuff because they assumed that the ransom note was legit, legit, and that the child had not been killed. And I, I understand usually in the form like in situations with ransoms and kidnappings you have to act very fast but yeah but not without looking there had to be some detective who was there that could have been sent to investigate the entire home or just the regular cops just right like, don't send her father because her poor fucking dad was the one that had to find her brutally murdered body in the basement which is just not cool no at all and i'm sure it's something that is probably traumatized him forever i would imagine yes um story makes no sense no it really doesn't it's literally been pissing me off my whole life yeah like since i was in my late teens yeah and i'm going to 20. assume at this point that the police are not aware that the amount that is requested in the ransom note is the exact amount that john bennett got for his christmas bonus because then they would immediately start questioning everyone who knew him Everyone close to him, everyone he worked for, everyone he worked right. with. Because the only people outside of Patsy and John who would know that that is the amount that he received are people who gave it to him. Or, or people who or also got the same telling, amount. Yeah, unless he was telling unless people Unless he was telling everybody, party. which doesn't seem, like, very likely. This round's on me! Right. I don't know. <sighs> yeah, it's very frustrating. The family then, at this time, do what they should have done to begin with. Return to Boulder. And they hire media consultant Pat Corton from D.C. to handle all inquiries from the press, as it is also reported that the Ramsey security system was not operating at the time of the murder. I am so goddamn sick of that being something <laughs> we have to talk too. about. It's literally, I'm not, it's not, I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because it's absurd that every Everything. case, every missing persons case, every high profile murder, security system, and I really am trying so hard not to like cast so much judgment here. But it's Christmas night mm -hmm. in a very wealthy neighborhood. Yeah. You might want to make sure that your security system is working. I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but home invasions and robberies really ramp up at the holiday season. And that might be the one time that you want to make sure your cameras are on. You would think. You would think. Um, not only that, but 
The police have also uncovered during their 10 day investigation that as many as 15 people had keys to the Ramsey house. What the hell? 15 friends, 15 just random people that they trusted for a while had keys to their home. Did they have animals that needed tended to no. and go out of town often? No. Or weird. 15 people. So now there's 15 suspects. There's fi- not only that, but all their take families. their 15 suspects, family, friends, everyone they know. There is not 15 people that I know that I would trust enough to have keys to my house. I mean, I could think of probably 15, but I'm not giving them keys. No, I'm not. I mean, I'll give you a key if I'm out of town. My key. Yeah, why would well, I'm not letting you keep a key. Yeah, I don't want somebody just randomly coming in. I don't know if that's like some rich thing no, that I'm that's... just like unaware of. I don't believe so. But that was very odd to me. So, due to what they have uncovered and everything that's going on, 30 police are now assigned to work the case, which honestly, they probably need double that. Probably need a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and this is where I'm going to leave you all because what follows after this, the media frenzy... Um, Burke is going to get a little more involved here, her brother, because Mm -hmm. we haven't heard much from him and we haven't heard much about him, but he is going to become kind of like a figurehead in this case. There's a lot to get into because now that we know that the ransom note was written from inside the home, we're going to learn a little bit more about the ransom note as well and everything that followed there. Uh, The media's coverage of the case, it was... Still is Mm -hmm. insane. It was like 24-7. 24 hours, which, I mean, her mentioning the OJ case, she probably didn't know that she was going to will that into existence, but it's very comparable to the media coverage that OJ got as well because it's not very often that you find a six-year-old of a massive rich family, wealthy family, murdered in her home with a ransom note being written from inside the home. Yeah, this case stinks. <laughs> yeah, it smells like some bullshit to me. Um, and we're going to talk about the more recent news that has yeah um come into play. I'm going didn't really want to mention it, but I'm sure a lot of you have seen. Uh, I guess John Bennett hired a cold case investigator who mm-hmm. has been looking into a lot of the stuff that has gone on, and um, I don't want to place too much blame, but the Boulder police really fucked this up bad and have honestly treated the family really, really poorly. Um, And there's a lot of evidence that they still have that is untested. And given the fact that like we're now in 2022, DNA testing is way, way better better and way more efficient. And this cold case investigator genuinely believes that if she, she's already filed all the paperwork to get them to release the evidence to her, that the evidence is released to her and tested that she is going to be able to solve it. Which, Which would be amazing. After genuinely hope so. Yeah. Because I am one of those people that believes that spirits don't rest as easily when their murderers are still running around living happy lives. Mm-hmm. Gross. Um, and also the two people, I'm sure you've read, it's like her brother and her dad that are asking for this. It is her half-brother and her dad. It is not Burke. Burke is not the one who is out there asking for evidence to be released here. We'll be talking about Burke in a little bit. Yeah, and Burke is going to come into the story <laughs> a lot more here. Burke, we're looking at you, buddy. Yeah. Although we're not, because that would be wrong, so we are not accusing anyone. No, we're not. Please don't sue us or send us. Like, yeah. Cease and desist. I'm just <laughs> say, saying that, allegedly, we're looking at you, Burke. 
All right. Well, thanks for listening to the Monsters and Mixers podcast. We have decided if we're going to hit you with a paranormal episode and then continue this case. It kind of just depends on how long it takes Emma to get done with her research. But we will be back next week with something for you. Sorry for all the absenteeism. I feel like I'm about to be fired from my job. Um, <laughs> so please follow us on our socials on Facebook at Monsters and Mixers Pod, on Twitter at Monsters Mixers, and on Instagram at Monsters and Mixers Podcast. Like and follow us on your preferred listening platform. Leave a five-star rating and send us those stories via email at monstersandmixers2 at gmail.com or at one of the socials mentioned. Yeah, because it's about to be spooky season. We'd like your spooky stories. Yeah, we're actually doing a spooky sesh tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. We got more Ouija action hopefully coming for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll see. I'm excited. All right. See you next time when we dive into another terrifying tale and concoct a new delicious drink to wash down the horror. Now get out there and meet some ghosts. And make some toasts.